Great to be with you on this third and, and final in our series, Honest. And we've heard some great messages from Pastors Bill and Justin on being honest with ourselves, being honest with others. And today we wrap it up, honest to God. I love that phrase, honest to God. You don't have to be a Christian to use that phrase. People use that all the time, right? I'm telling the truth, honest to God. It's, it's kind of, and, and isn't that interesting that we find it in our DNA, in our wiring, made in the image of God. We're all made in the image of God that we have this desire to be truth tellers, to be honest to God. We're made in his image. And yet, because of sin, there's some faulty wiring, and so we can often find it easier to be dishonest than to be honest. Uh, honest to God, Pastor John told a, lie, uh, told a lie before church was even out last Sunday. I was, uh, I was at the Isani campus, and they were handing out leftover food, and at the end of church, they said, hey, John, would you like some? I go, nah, I think my wife grabbed some. I knew that my wife didn't grab any, but I found it easier to just uh, avoid telling the truth that, no thanks, I, I'm not interested, but uh, I, before church was even out in a series on honesty, I didn't even realize until I was talking to Justin the next day that I had told a lie. So I, I called the person and apologized, and they graciously forgave me. But it's easy to do. As we've been learning, honesty is so central to God's character and how we're called to live in relationship with him and relationship with ourselves and in relationship with one another. And though it's not easy facing the, facing the truth of our, of our sin and dishonest ways, it's better to face the truth, to come clean, and to walk in the goodness with our loving Heavenly Father. So here's our big idea for the day. God's call to honesty is an invitation to keep walking on the path with him, to quickly abandon any sin, and enjoy the good life with God and one another. I'm reading from the book of James, uh, chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. Follow along as I read. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, give birth, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like sifting shadows. He chose us to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. If you're taking notes, first of all, don't be deceived. I've told this story a few times before, but it's one of my favorites in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit it's the part of the story when Gandalf implores a hobbit Frodo and his companions before they go into the woods. He says, stay on the path. Stay on the path. And I knew that Tolkien was a believer in Jesus, but when I, when I, read, when I first read this part of the story, I knew he was probably referencing our scripture for today. Again, our passage says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
In the story, Gandalf tells Frodo and the others to stay on the path. But as they're traveling through the woods in their desire for food, they see an illusion of someone by a campfire eating uh, tasty treats, and they get off the path. And then they're uh, captured by large spiders and thrown into prison from elves. So desire leads to sin, which leads to death. In the case of the hobbits, it led to prison or being in bondage. And just like Frodo was to stay on the physical path, God wants to call us to stay on the right spiritual path with him. And we can do that largely by following what James instructs us to do, to not let ourselves be deceived. The call to honesty is a, a wonderful invitation to receive the grace of God and to stay on the path with him. Satan's number one tool is deception. And so he's continually tempting us with illusions and with evil desires to try and get us off the path from walking closely in God's perfect love and peace. And after we're warned and enlightened against the strategy of desires which lead to a path of destruction, we're giving this loving admonition in verse 16. And one translation reads, Don't be deceived. My beloved. To me, it begs the question uh, what are the ways we are going to be deceived? What are the lies that we're tempted to believe? The way this verse is structured, I think, gives us our biggest clue. Don't be deceived, my beloved. God doesn't harshly criticize us or shame us uh, for our sinful ways and history of continually falling off the path, He, He reminds us of our identity. That we are his beloved, his chosen, his precious sons and daughters. And so lie number one is that we're tempted to believe from the deceiver we're not God's beloved. Satan is always trying to deceive us and fill us with lies and doubts and move us farther from our true identity, the centrality that we are God's beloved children. Case in point, What happens before Jesus is tempted by Satan in the desert? He, we have this great passage right before that of of his baptism, where his father says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I believe that's not just for Jesus. That is for all his children. That is the way that our heavenly father loves us. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased. And what happens then as Jesus goes from that strong identity of being a son of God, beloved son of God, he goes into the desert, and right away Satan tries to get him to doubt that. He says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And so right away, he's going to try and get us to to be deceived, to to believe the lie that we are not beloved children of God. That's the first lie. And so hear those words. It's your number one identity. You are a beloved son or daughter of God. And then uh, then you can say to Satan, talk to the hand. I am God's treasured possession. Lie number two. 
is that our sin is not that bad. God doesn't grade on a curve. The Greek word for sin, one of the words for sin is hamartia, which means to miss the mark, like an archer missing the target. And so any sin that misses the mark of God's holiness and what God said is true and good is sin. I love how James speaks about this path of deception as a birth process. And we have to be honest that our desires and our temptations, if we're not careful, if we're not being realistic about them, they can conceive into sin. And when that's given for full growth, it leads to death. It is not easy to face our sin and faults. And so we're going to be tempted to avoid the discomfort of facing our shortcomings. It's easier to to avoid, to justify, to rationalize than do the hard work of taking honest inventory of the wrongs, of our faults. But God wants us to walk in his truth. And part of that includes knowing the amazing and wonderful identity that he has given us, that we are beloved. And what does it mean to be beloved? It means that we are who he say we are, his perfectly loved children. There is nothing better than that. God wants to guard our identity as his beloved, but he also wants to guard the truth. So we need to learn to catch those little seeds of inconsistency, of lies, of sin, and confess and come back into loving fellowship with him. I love the way Pastor Earl Palmer describes this invitation. Come into the light where Jesus Christ is. Here you will meet yourself and here you will meet him. Then stand in the open position and admit who you are. Agree with God and receive cleansing and forgiveness. Honesty is so crucial to repenting and forsaking anything we're being dishonest to God about. I love the verse, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I think this is so important to have this two two act, two-step process of confessing and then renouncing. Sometimes I think we just kind of, oh, forgive me. But to renounce means to say, no more. I have no more of that. I, I count it as dead. I confess the sin and I walk away and I come back into the fellowship with my loving and holy father. I love the homework uh, that Pastor Bill gave us in the first week of the series to, to meditate on Psalm 139, which he was preaching, and, and to let God search our hearts like King David let God search his heart to, to see if there's any offensive way, any sin within my heart. And I was doing that as part of devotions, and I, I just felt the presence of God and, and started, started to cry. And there wasn't anything in particular that came out, but it was just this, um, this work that God's Spirit was doing within my heart to, to have me confess of being busy and, and not spending that time with him and not walking in that regular fellowship with him. I know I'm the one who was always preaching about prayer or Sabbath or resting God, but I've been busy. And it was such a sweet time to let God's word and truth 
do that cleansing work through tears, through confession, through receiving of his great and mighty love. In order to not be deceived, ask yourself these two questions. Do I really see myself as God sees me, his beloved? And then, am I being honest about my sin and quickly confessing and renouncing it? God's call to honesty is an invitation for us to keep walking on the path with him, to quickly abandon any sin, and to enjoy the good life with God and one another. And so after we heed this this loving call to not be deceived, to renounce, to confess our sins, we quickly come back to God. And then secondly, we enjoy God's good life. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What a contrast. Completely the opposite of the destructive path that that takes us away from God is this picture of perfection. Every good and perfect gift that we experience in this life comes from our perfect heavenly Father. And unlike the illusions of idols and false things that always overpromise and underdeliver, God is a holy and perfect God. He never reneges. He never falls short on his promises to us. He does not change like a shifting shadow. He alone is good. He alone is worthy of our worship and adoration. I love how someone put it when we were praying in prayer force this week and and praying over this passage. And and this person prayed, we know perfection, but it's not by our hands, but by your hand, God. We are meant to know perfection and how good it is that it doesn't have to be on our shoulders. We can release that to God. I mean, we serve a perfect God and it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be the people around me. We are meant to know perfection. So I want you to do a little homework this week. You see on the bottom of your bulletins just a little spiritual formation exercise to take this passage, this short little verse of James 1.16. Do not be deceived, my beloved. And ask yourself these questions. Ask, uh, pray, meditate just on this simple verse. What are the lies you're tempted to believe? Do I really believe I'm God's beloved more than anything else? How am I meditating on God's perfection and power and the good life he invites me to? So much of it is about our identity. But it's also about God's identity, who he truly is. And Satan always wants us to believe some watered-down version of a holy and mighty and gracious God. And when we meditate on God's true identity, when we spend time in his word and prayer, we're humbled by his holiness, convicted of our false errors, and drawn to his glory by truth and grace. Not only are we deceived about our true identity, we're we're deceived largely around our calling and our purpose. 
This passage closes in verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Again, James uses the imagery of birth, but it's not a birthing process that leads to sin and leads to destruction. It's a birthing process by his word of truth that forms us more and more into his image to be a a first fruit of all he created. God wants to birth something glorious in and through our lives. And so he uses his word, his truth, to fashion us more and more into his image. And that's why honesty is so important. God is holy and good, and he will not let his glory be cheapened or distorted. God wants us to to lay our sins at his feet and to be transformed more and more into his image and to call others to the good life of walking with Jesus. God's call to honesty is an invitation to keep walking on the path with him, to quickly abandon any sin and enjoy the good life with God and one another. God calls us not only to be honest about our our personal sin, but we as the people of God are called again and again throughout Scripture to confess and lament the sins of our fathers, the sins of our land, that God may heal our land and heal us as a people and bring his good life to all who are walking on a path of deception and destruction. A month ago, we were blessed uh, to welcome home Pastor Ryan O'Leary to preach here at at New Hope. And if you were here, you you heard a powerful and humbling sermon on the, the opportunities of the gospel among First Peoples, Native Americans. And as we mentioned, uh, we now have a mission focus in the next three to five years at New Hope on First Peoples. And so we're working closely with, with Ryan, who is the leader of our entire denominations on the First People Initiative. I, uh, in praying before that day, in praying the day before, I sensed great power that would come. And I believe great power happened when, when Ryan was here. And he talked about a hard subject, right? How the gospel has come with a lot of baggage uh, to our Native Americans, to our First Peoples. And yet, what was so powerful is he spoke the truth, but he spoke it with grace. And he said, this doesn't have to be our narrative going forward. Ryan was also able to join us for our very first trauma healing retreat, which is something that our mission focus team is hoping to use in several uh, Native reservations here in Minnesota and beyond. And he was deeply touched by this retreat. I want to share some of his words from that reflection. I felt that the trauma healing group I attended has great potential to help many tribal people throughout North America to heal and find a healthier life. In Ojibwe culture, we use the phrase, Mino Bimadizawin, forgive me, Ryan, in Ojibwe culture, which means the good life. 
This trauma healing group has great potential to help tribal people live this kind of life through the healing power of Jesus. When we as a group were asked about what was most meaningful to us at the end of our experience, I shared that I felt a sense of personal freedom and wholeness that I hadn't experienced in quite some time. I love how in his description, he says it's a healing that only Jesus can do. And I'm so thankful for the open door that God is giving New Hope and others. This open door to present the gospel and, and healing over trauma to first peoples and beyond. In, uh, in, during the retreat, Ryan mentioned that, that many in, in Native community experience a generational trauma, not just singular trauma in their life, but generation of injustices and sin and pain of past generations that seem to pile on and make it harder and harder to live the good life. And in his words of experiencing a freedom and a wholeness that he hadn't in a long time, I can't help but wonder was part of that healing Jesus lifting the burdens of, of generational trauma off him. We stand in a moment where the gospel can do great and mighty things if we're willing to be honest to God and confess our sins and lament our sins and see the power of Jesus do great and mighty healing personally and healing in our land. May God lead us as individuals and as a church to confess and renounce our sins, to resist the path of deception, and be the first fruits of God's creation to spread salvation, healing, and the invitation to walk with Jesus in his good life. Hear this invitation to Jesus in the disciples in the upper room. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, say, take and eat, this is my body. Don't, don't take it yet, but I'm giving you the words of invitation. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so as the worship team comes out, I want to invite you to take a minute to sit in the presence of a holy God that loves you as his beloved, but calls you to honesty. Sit in his presence. And as you think about the bread, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, confess any sins to him, receive his forgiveness, renounce those sins and walk on the path with him. Take this next minute. I'm going to pray and then take this next minute just on your own to take the bread.
take the cup and to receive his grace all the more. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for that you take sin seriously, that you sent your son to die on a cross, to shed his blood, his body to be broken for our sins so that we could be made right. We thank you that you're a holy God. We thank you that you're a loving God and you've made a way for us to come and to live the good life, to walk with you. And so, Father God, we ask your Holy Spirit to lead us each. And Lord, search our hearts. If there's any offensive way, any sin within our hearts, bring that to mind that we may confess and renounce and receive your love. Holy Spirit, do your healing work in our hearts and do your healing work in and through us as a body that we may stand as a radiant light for many others to receive the good life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.